Let's take our Bibles this morning. If you have a Bible with you, uh, please turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter number 12. As I said uh, before the holiday season began, we are going to start a brand new series in the last chapters of the book of Romans. And earlier this year, for those of you that may not have been here during that time, earlier this year, we looked at this book of Romans verse by verse. Uh, for several months, we looked at the first 11 chapters. Now, Romans is really a foundational book. If you want to understand Christianity, and let's not take for granted that we live in a time where, even though this is the United States, there are many people around us. They are, they are familiar with Christianity. They may have gone to a church service, but this is a time where people don't necessarily understand the essence of what Christianity is. And so we took time to go through the book of Romans and just help us all lay that foundation for what it means to, to truly know Christ. And so Romans chapter 1, right through chapter 11, it reminded us, it explained to us just those great truths of the gospel. And a couple of things that we learned among, among all of the truths that are in there, two things I think really stood out. First of all, our salvation is completely free. Aren't you thankful for that? That the fact is this, God, is not, God did not ask us to become devout religious people for us to go to heaven. If he asked us, and if you want to go to heaven, you have to be a devout religious person, keep all the rules, follow all the commandments, do all the religious things. If that's what God had asked us to do, how would you and I have done? Pretty poorly. Pretty poorly. Because I can't measure up. But what we saw in the book of Romans is that salvation is a free gift that God gave us. We sang songs today. A lot of those songs spoke about the blood of Jesus. And it's interesting to, to think about that because salvation is free for those of us who will believe in Christ but it cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life and the blood that he shed. But then, not only did we learn that our salvation is completely free, but we learned that it is forever secure. That forever, if we are in Christ, we are secure. And we know that because Jesus not only died for our sins, but he rose from the dead. Well, now we come to chapters 12 through 16. And we'll take a few weeks to see these final five chapters. And what we're going to see is this theme that you see on the screen behind me, renewed. And that is this, that the gospel of Christ, the good news that saves me from my sins, is not something that is just a theory. It's not something that is just for the church building where we come and sing. But the gospel is something that changes every part of my life. Every part of my life. Knowing Jesus means that I am a different dad than I would be without Jesus. Knowing Jesus means that I am a different employee to my employer than I would be without Jesus. Knowing Jesus means that I'm a different member of the community than I would be if I didn't know Christ. That there is a transformation. There is a newness about my life. Some of you have memorized some verses that talk about this because you remember your life before Christ and you've memorized verses like this. If any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away, and all things have become new. So this theme is throughout the Bible, but it's especially clear in the end of the book of Romans. The gospel has the power to change the way we live. It gives us a renewed mind and a completely transformed life. So really, the first three verses are all we're going to look at today. We'll look at some larger passages of Scripture in the weeks ahead, but today it's really an introductory, introducing the theme. There's just three verses that I want us to focus on, and let's get ready to read them together. If you have a Bible in front of you, I'd encourage you to look at it. If not, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Romans chapter 12, let's read verses 1 through verse number 3. And I'll tell you when I'd like you to join me and read out loud, but I'll begin. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, would you read verse number two with me? Ready? Begin. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's really our theme verse for all of the next few weeks. And we're going to say it every week, and hopefully you'll have it memorized by accident, because we'll say it every week. Let's say it one more time together. Ready? Verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'll finish with verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that we can come today, sing your praises, and listen to your word. Lord, we believe that you are here with us. We believe that your presence is among us. And we believe that these words that we read are not human words, but they are the very words of God. They're your words. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to every person who's here today. I pray that each of us would listen carefully, pray that each of us would have humble hearts, and that we would listen for your voice. I pray that you would speak through your words. Please help me as I explain the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let me move quickly for you. I'll give you three thoughts about this passage, and really I have one main thought for each verse that we read. I want to begin, number one, with us thinking about this, the motivation of mercy. The motivation of mercy. There are some powerful motivators in life, aren't there? I mean, there's some powerful motivations. You, let me ask you this. As you think about your life, your situation, what are some things that really, really motivate you? I mean, that's why you get up in the morning. That's why you put your shoes on, you get out the door, and you get to work. Probably, for a lot of you, you would say, well, it's my family. It's my kids. We did some, some of us, you know, we spent a lot of money for the last month or so. 
motivated to bring some joy and happiness to our kids. We do things. We're motivated to, uh, we're motivated, I, I see people travel uh, for their children, do all kinds of things, and that's a good, how many of you would agree with me? That's a good motivation, right? A good motivation to say, hey, I want to I wanna provide something for my children. That's a great motivation. There are some less noble motivations in life, right? Some people are motivated by money, and they'll do whatever it takes in order to get money because it motivates them. Well, as we think about, as we think about the renewed life, as we think about a new kind of life that comes only through Christ, the first question is, what motivates that life? There are some wrong motivations for the Christian life. There are some wrong motivations for the Christian life. Let me give you a common wrong motivation for the Christian life. Are you ready? Number one wrong one. The wrong motivation for the Christian life is pride. There are many people that are very religious, and all of the way they live is to kind of prove that they are good people. I've fallen into that trap before. I've fallen into the pride trap. Am I the only one? Or maybe some of you as well, where we say, you know what, I'm going to be good, and I'm just going to prove that I am a good person. That's not a, that's not a motivation for the renewed life. There's some other motivations that sometimes that are masked. They have a Christian mask, but they're not good motivations. So the first one I said was what? The first one was pride. Let me give you a second one. It's guilt. Guilt is not the, the, the greatest motivation. Now, it can get you so far. It can have an impact. But there are many people, their whole Christian experience is out of a sense of guilt. Well, if I don't do this, it might, you might even couple guilt with fear. Right? Like if I, don't, if I don't perform, if I don't meet these expectations, then I'm not going to make it. Bad motivator. Sometimes there's a motivator of comparison where I'm trying to outdo someone else or envy or things like that. All of these are not the motivation for the Christian life. And I'd ask you right now as we begin and we think about this renewed life in Jesus, what is your motivation? What is it that, uh, that wakes you up in the morning and causes you to say, I'm going to go forward by faith? What is it? Well, look what, look what the motivation is here. The motivation is the mercy of God. Focus with me on verse number one, just for a minute or two here. In verse number one, the Apostle Paul says this, I beseech you. Now, that's a very strong word. It has the idea of pleading or begging. He says, I urge you. I just, if I could just get your attention. Now, notice who he's speaking to. He says, brethren. Now, this is the word that, 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 is, that is used for brothers and sisters. And he says, I'm, I'm speaking to you, my brothers and sisters. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to people outside of the family of God? No, he's speaking to people that are inside the family of God. People who say that they know Jesus. People who say that they believe everything that Paul had written about in the previous chapters. He, said, he says this, brothers and sisters, I'm just begging you to listen to what I'm about to say. And if I could echo the Apostle Paul here on this first Sunday of 2023 and speak to my brothers and sisters in the faith. Brothers and sisters, and speaking to myself as well, let's listen to the message he says, I beseech you, now what is it? 
He says, there's something I am going to base my message on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the what? By the mercies of God. The point is for us to pause right there. Paul is about to ask us to do something as Christians. Paul is about to ask us to take a step of obedience and to live out the faith that's inside of us. But this, this statement is intended for us to slow down, stop, and think about what? Not a trick question. Think about what? The mercy of God. To stop and think about the mercy of God. As you look back on 2022, has God been merciful and gracious and good to you? I mean, has God just been good? I don't know what your year was like. I don't know what kind of difficulties you faced. Well, some of you I do, but everyone I don't know what you faced. I don't know if it was a great successful year or if your year was filled with difficulties and trials and and awful circumstances. Whatever the case, though, I do know this. The mercy of God was there for you and the mercy of God was there for me. Mercy reminds us that we have received what we don't deserve. Mercy literally means this. You have received something that you don't deserve. You know, entitlement is the opposite of mercy. Entitlement says, well, I deserve for God to be good and gracious to me. But mercy, understanding mercy, a person says, I didn't deserve any of the kindness that God gave me. But I'm so thankful that he was merciful. I'm so thankful that he loved me despite my failures. That's the heart of the message of mercy. God has been merciful to us. In fact, that is the message of the gospel. He says, I want you to think about the gospel. Forget all of the difficulties and troubles and hard times that you may have gone through this year. That's just a small glimpse of the mercy of God. The greatest example of God's mercy is that he would save us from our sins. That God would reach down and see me. And just because I wear nice clothes today and get up and give a nice talk, the fact is this, if you knew everything about me, If you knew everything about me, you'd be like, boy, I guess you're not such a great guy after all. And if I knew everything about you, I would probably say the same thing. The Bible calls that sin. But Jesus Christ came to save sinners. From what we would think of as, well, but they're nice people. They're nice sinners. And then over here, the worst of the worst. People we would think of as sinners. All of us, compared to the glory of God, we fall short. We are sinners. But it is of the Lord's mercy and compassion that he saves us. Have you been saved by the mercy of God? Has there been a time in your life where you have seen yourself not as a great person, but honestly as a sinner, and said, Jesus, I need your mercy, and received it not by your works, not by your good deeds, but by faith, believing that the merciful God would save us. He says here, there's no greater motivation for life than understanding that we are sinners who've received God's mercy. That we are sinners who've received God's mercy. And he goes on and he says this. 
He says, I beseech you therefore. He says, brothers and sisters, listen, please, by the mercies of God. Now listen, he appeals to God's mercy for us to remember, but then he brings us to a decision point. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that, in other words, now I want you to take a step. Now I want you to make a decision. What I'd like you to do, Christians, is present your bodies. Think of making a presentation. But instead of holding something in our hands, what is it that we're presenting to God? Our very selves. All of us. And he doesn't use a super spiritual word. He uses a very physical word. He says, what are, to, what are we to present to God? Our bodies. Our flesh and our blood. Our being. I think, obviously, it encompasses our mind, our soul, our spirit, all of that. But it's not any less than our very bodies presented to God. And this is where, this is where the theology of the Bible starts to hit the practicality of where we live. And he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living what? Notice these two words. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says, first of, first of all, you need to be a sacrifice to God. Now, if you lived in the days of when the Bible was written, when you thought of a sacrifice, what would you immediately think of? Just an animal sacrifice. You're going back, way, way back. It was still being practiced in this day and age. And they thought of an animal sacrifice being made before God. But, but we're here, we learn in the scriptures that that is all done away with. God was no, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, right? Jesus' death on the cross, he replaced those Old Testament sacrifices. And now, God is not looking for us to, to make a sacrifice like that. It's actually a greater sacrifice that God is looking for. Because it's not a dead sacrifice, it's a what? It's a living sacrifice. He says, considering the fact, considering the fact that God has saved you by his mercy, would you give your whole life to him? I hope you can, in your heart, say yes, yes. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus, the mercy of God, motivates me. Now, when I was in college, I heard a pastor say this. Actually, no, this was before I went to college. I, was, I, was, I had taken a trip. I was about 16, 15 or 16 years old. I had taken a trip to actually visit the Christian college that I was going to attend. And I sat in a church service, and Pastor Jim Shetler gave a message that night. And you know how there are moments in your life that you just remember, right? I don't remember a lot from that trip except that I got the flu. It was terrible. But anyway, other than that, I remember listening to Pastor Shetler say this. He said, and, and this was early 2000s, so things like the Columbine shooting were still in our, in our mind. And what was that young woman's name, Rachel, that gave her life at Columbine? They said, do you believe in Jesus? She said, yes, and, and she lost her life that day. Well, that was fresh and all. We were young people. That was fresh in all of our minds. Actually, it may have even been the late 90s. And we remember that. And he says to all of us college students, high school students in that, in that church service, he said, listen, I have no doubt that most of this room, you love Jesus, you love God. If somebody threatened your life and said, deny Jesus or die, he says, I believe that most of the people in this room would, 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 give their, would die for Jesus. 
But then he said this, but the trouble is Jesus needs people not to die for him, but to live for him, to give their very life for him. And that just stuck with me because that is, that, that is a life of full surrender. Now, people, I've, I've had this conversation with, with people. Think, I want you to think about this. And you may have had this conversation with people, with religious people. I've talked about the gospel, and I've said that, that knowing Jesus is different than religion. Religion says, you be a good person and you inherit eternal life. The gospel says, you can't be good enough, just receive Jesus by faith. And then people answer with this. They say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does that mean it doesn't matter how I live, that if I just say, God, I'm sorry, please save me, that he will save me? And I can go on and live however I want? If that is the case, if that is the case, then that person has a complete misunderstanding of the mercy of salvation. Because understanding what Jesus did for me. And so it's been put this way. I don't do good things for God in order to earn eternal life. I, do, I try to do good things for God because he's given me eternal life. And that's an important difference. And a lot of people, it's a subtle difference, but it's so important. We don't serve him to earn his forgiveness. We serve him because he's freely saved us. He's freely forgiven us. So, he says, will you give your lives a living sacrifice? And look how he describes the life of living sacrifice. He says, if you're giving yourself as a living sacrifice, your life is going to be what? Holy. It means we behave differently. That we're going to live holy lives that are what? Acceptable unto God. Now that's interesting because he has already accepted us by faith. But there is a way, there is a manner of living that is becoming of someone who's received Christ. And he says this, will you live for Christ? You've been forgiven, now will you be holy? Will you live a life that says, I belong to Jesus? Listen, if you get up and pray every morning, which is a great way to start the day, it's a wonderful prayer. If I could just abbreviate the Lord's Prayer. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Or you maybe memorize it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. If I could just abbreviate this into a, um, a prayer for the fast-paced world we live in. I'm not saying you shouldn't slow down, but just hear me out for a minute. Lord, this is your day and I am your servant. What a way to start the day, just with a simple recognition. God, this is your day. I have new mercy this morning, a new day to live. You have saved me by your grace. I give this day to you. And look, what he, look how he finishes this section. He says at the end, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable what? Service. That phrase, reasonable surface, service, can actually be translated a couple of ways, also, in, also with the implication of worship. That idea of service also has the idea of worship tied in with it. And what he's saying here is, it is reasonable. 
considering, the, the, considering all that God has done, the mercy of God, it is very reasonable. In other words, not a big ask. This isn't a, this isn't a, this isn't a, um, an especially big stretch that God is asking of us. He says, brothers and sisters, if we have been saved by his mercy, oh, it's very reasonable that we would give our lives to him. And that leads to a transformed life, secondly. Now, here's what happens. There are many Christians, and I want you to get this. There are many Christians who have come to faith in Christ. There's been a moment in their life, might have been when they were young, maybe earlier at their adulthood. I've actually been speaking with somebody who this is their exact testimony. Somebody, this is their exact testimony they shared with me recently. They said, I believed in Jesus all this many years ago, but then I never fully surrendered myself to him. That is the point of dissatisfaction for many Christians. Do you know why a lot of Christians, they, they stop going to church, they, they just kind of, they just sometimes get kind of depressed. And their life kind of steers up, oh, they know Jesus, but they've never unlocked the secret to joy and happiness. You say, what do you mean the secret to joy and happiness? The secret to the best life you could possibly live as a Christian is saying, I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours. And giving, giving our lives to complete surrender to him. You might be that person. Now, it's possible that you're in here today and you've never made the first step of giving your life to Christ. You've never said, Jesus, I need your salvation. You need to begin there. But it's possible that you have trusted Christ, but you've never fully surrendered and said, Lord, whatever you want from me, I am yours. When that happens, it leads to a renewed life. It leads to transformation. Look what happens next in verse number two. Verse number two, the transformed life. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye, what's it say? Do you see the contrast? Real quick here. On the one side, you could be what? Conformed or, this is way cooler, you could just be conformed or you could be transformed. You could be conformed or transformed. The first thing that comes to mind when I hear the word conformed is something I played with as a kid. And it comes in a little yellow container with a colorful top. You pop the top off and out plops a lump of Play-Doh. You may have played with clay, but for me, it was, it was Play-Doh, Play-Doh. And I showed off as a four-year-old trying to impress my, uh, my as a four-year-old, my very attractive 14-year-old babysitter. I tried to impress her by eating a piece of that Play-Doh, not meant for human consumption. Although, although I'm okay. I live to tell the story, but she was not okay. Anyway, Play-Doh. Why do I think of Play-Doh when I think of conformed? Why? Because you take that lump of clay or Play-Doh and you just press it and you stretch it and you cut it and you make it into whatever you want it to be. 
But how much control does that Play-Doh have? None. It's just a lump in the hand of, the, of whatever its master is. Did you know that what the Bible's teaching us is this? There are a lot of people that say, well, I'm an independent thinker. I, am, I, I make my own way. I have my own views. Well, I respect where you're coming from, but I'd honestly ask you to consider, if you look at your life, there's probably some pattern that your life is being conformed to. We are prone to the pressures of conformity. I mean, it begins, it begins in grade school, right? Like going back to when kids brought lunch boxes to school. How many of you carried a lunch box to school? Okay. How many of you can remember who was on your first very cool lunch box? Who remembers? Okay. We got some people. How many of you aren't being honest with me? You remember who was on your lunch box? Nope. Oh, you're like, you're trying to think. All right. Why? Because you couldn't just, you couldn't just have that old plain thing. You had to have something like all the other kids had. How many remember when you understood what fashion was all about? How many of you still can't figure it out? All right? So, okay, you're being honest. Good, good, good. All right? And why? Because very early we are taught to conform. But then there's a group of nonconformists that say, we are not going to go the way of everyone else. We are going to go our own way altogether. And we splinter into subgroups, and, 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 and it's like, well, I don't, I don't listen to that uh, regular music. I listen to this alternative music. You know what I mean? It's, it's in our wardrobes and in our entertainment choices. And now, with the, the digital age, it's, we're getting chopped up even more, right? Because there's so much media and so many ways for us to express our individuality. Except the fact is this. If we're honest, most of us, all of us, if we're not careful, we are being conformed. And the scripture says this, Jesus can set you free from that. And a lot of people say, well, isn't that what the scripture is doing? Isn't there a, 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 a conforming that's happening in the scripture? Yes, except we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's his work. And by doing that, he sets us free to a life that is completely transformed from the world around us. But do you know what happens a lot of times? A lot of times people get excited like, yes, I know Jesus now. I'm a Christian now. I'm going to follow him with my whole heart. And they start changing all this. And then they get to this one area of their life. And they get to this one spot in their life. And they say, I think I've changed enough. I think I've been transformed enough. After all. I don't want people to think I'm like a, re a religious fanatic or something. And we make excuses and rationalizations and we say, Jesus, you can have this. And what we do is we slam the brakes on God's process of transformation. Sometimes transformation is kind of hard. And God is going to change us in ways that at first feel uncomfortable to us. But the Bible says that no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. Whatever God's will is for our life is the very best thing that could happen. In fact, look what happens next. It says, 
be not conformed to this world, but be, let's just say it again because it's such a cool word, be not conformed to this world, but be by the renewing of your mind. It begins with a new way of thinking. Boy, that's kind of how we began, thinking about the gospel, thinking about God's mercies. There's a new way, so I'm transformed. I, I think a different way now. I used to think, well, I'll please myself, or I'll please my wife, or I'll please my children, or I'll please th this, this group or that group. And, and now I think, well, you know what? Now I'll please Jesus. Now I'll please God. And then the, what happens in our lives is we go on this journey of proving. Proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect what? Will of God. Really simply put, because I don't want to go too long. Let me just wrap this point up really quickly. It's simply this. God, boy, I really think I know best all the time. Anybody in here like that? You think you know best all the time like me? I, 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 think, I always think I know what's best. But God, I'm going to look at this, this decision. Because I've been changed by the gospel, because I have a new way of thinking, I'm going to say, God, what do you want? For my life what would make you happy and boy then you walk into a journey that is exciting sometimes a little scary sometimes a little unknown but it's the walk of a christian the walk that is by faith the walk that jesus leads us into you think about those fishermen on the side of the bank as they're fishing I'm talking about Peter and Andrew, James and John. And Jesus says, let down your nets and what? Follow me. If they only knew what was in store. If they only knew what was going to come next. Boy, some uncomfortable situations, but an exciting journey of transformation. Christian, though, before I move on, remember, as Christians, we are to prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect. It means our lives should look differently. We don't behave the same way we did before we knew Christ. God, does this please you? Is this what you would have? And how does all this happen? It happens with renewed thinking. You saw that by the renewing of your mind. So I want to finish with this thought. The renewing of your mind brings us to the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Now look at this evidence of a person whose life has been changed. Verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself, how? More highly than he ought to think. One of the marks that we have received the mind of Christ, that we are walking in the will of God, is that our thinking has been brought to a place of humility. Now, does it say here not to think of yourself at all? No. It says put yourself in the right spot. There's a lot of talk in our culture today about things like self-care, taking care of ourselves, and some of that is helpful. But some of that can also lead us into more dissatisfaction. Because the more we think highly of ourselves, the more self-absorbed we become, the less we are in tune with God's will for our lives. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, 
Chronicles of Narnia, mere Christianity, he said this. Think about this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not this false humility, oh, I am nothing, I am low. No, it's I'm a child of God. I have purpose. I have value. I belong to the king. I'm a son or a daughter of the king. I, so it gives you this great self-esteem on the one hand because you understand who you are in Christ. But then you understand that you have not been given that place to serve yourself, but you've been given that confidence to serve God and to serve others. There was a, there was a little saying that went around Christian churches for many years in the, in the last century, Jesus and others and you, J-O-Y. Jesus and others and you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. Anybody grew up with that poem or that song? It's great. Jesus and others and you. Humility. He says, but think soberly. This idea is sound judgment. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, next week, he's going to pick up on that theme. So we're kind of at the pivot moment where he's going to introduce a new topic. But he says this, but what I want you to understand about this point is this, the gospel, the fact that we've received the mercy of God, if we would let that be the focus of our lives, boy, it would start to transform us and it would start to help us walk in the mind and thinking of Jesus that is a mindset of humility that says, listen, God is working in everybody's life. God is working in, in their life. and in your, That's why sometimes I need to yield my desires and my preferences because I need to look around and say, wow, God's trying to do something in your life and in your life and in that life. God is at work among us. Maybe what's going on in my situation doesn't need to take up all my thinking. I want to finish with one last passage that illustrates this. We've got it for the screen. It's Philippians 2. 3 through 11. This is another place Paul gives us this message. Think about it. This is where we'll, we'll wrap it up. So just for another minute or two, give me your attention, these last verses. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Don't fight with people, he says. Don't want all the attention for yourself. But in lowliness of mind, let each I'm an each, you're an each. Well, in this case, I'm an each and you're an other. Let each esteem other, how? Better than themselves. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of who? Others. Now, verse 5 is the key. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Now look at how it describes. It's the same thing we're reading, in, we're reading in Romans. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus is the Son of God, equal Father, Son, and Spirit in the throne of heaven. There is Jesus, God in heaven. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but now look what Jesus did. Jesus made himself of what? No reputation, like he was born in a manger made himself of no reputation. Though he was God, he comes to earth. He takes on him the form not of a king, but of a servant. And he was made just like 
you and just like me, in the likeness of men. In verse number 8, once he did that, and let's go to verse number 8, being found in fashion as a man, he what? This is the gospel. This is how you and I come to know Christ as our Savior. He humbled himself. Think about that. God humbling himself to become a man obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Leave it there. Jesus. This is, this is we sang that song, his mercy is more. What it cost Jesus to save us, the message of the gospel is that God would become a man and give his life. I've seen this illustrated. My, I've seen my dad preach it this way. I've seen others do it, but I, and I love this illustration. Every religion in the world, I mean every single one, whether it has the name Christianity or whether it has another name, every religion in the world says this. It says, if you want eternal life, then you as a man need to take one giant step to be like God. And if you can do it, you'll have eternal life. And so century after century, uh, many men and women have struggled and struggled and said, I'm trying, I'm trying, and they can never, they just can't make the step. Some step a little higher than others. But no matter what, nobody can make the step to God. However, the message of the gospel, the Bible-based Christianity says this, mankind, humankind doesn't step up to God, but God took a giant step down to be like us. Think about how unique that message is. That God, Jesus Christ, would humble himself and not just spend a little time with us, say, hey, I'll rub shoulders like with you and kind of be like you. He experienced our very worst because he experienced a painful and humiliating death. At any moment, Jesus could have said, nope, not going to go, go on with it. Angels, you come set me free. I'm going back to heaven. This thing is over. Let those people be lost. But for his great love wherewith he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God took a giant step down and said, you can come and be with me. And because of that, verse number nine, wherefore... God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name. Verse 10, that at the name of every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. you understand what happens here? Because of the first verses, because Jesus came down for me, I say I will bow my knee to King Jesus. I will give my life to Jesus not to prove to him I'm anything special, but out of gratitude and thankfulness, I say, I'm yours. As the old kid song said, I'm yours, Lord. Everything I've got, everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Not because I'm great, but because of the gospel, because of what he has done. Verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I ask you two last questions? First question is this. Has there been a time in your life, and I mean a moment in your life, that you have confessed, Jesus Christ is my Lord?
Has there been a moment in your life where you've repented of your sin? You've said, Jesus, I used to think I was pretty good, but now I realize I'm a sinner. I realize you died to save me. You are my Lord. Please save me. That is the moment of conversion. That is the moment a person becomes a Christian. Jesus humbled himself, and all he asks is that we would say yes to him. Yes, Jesus, I receive you. So the first question is, has there been a moment in your life where you've received Christ as your Savior and said, Jesus is my Lord? Second question, though. If you would say yes to the first question, yes, I have received Jesus as my Lord. Second, the question is now for you. Are you living like he's in charge of your life? Or have you tried to take the Lordship back? As you start 2023, would you say, boy, I'm a Christian that not only says Jesus is Lord, not only believes Jesus is Lord, but I live as if he's the Lord. This is a moment for you and me to make decisions. So I want to do this to close the service. Let's please bow our heads and close our eyes. This is a quiet time. I don't want any musicians yet or anything like that. Just every, everyone still for a minute and prayerful. This is a time to reflect on what was said and then in our hearts to respond to God. Remember the first question, has there been a time in your life where you've received Jesus? If, you're say, if you would say, Ethan, I, I may, I'm just not sure. I'm not completely sure that I've ever given my life to Christ. Well, I want to invite you to do that right now. No one is looking around. We're all in quiet prayer. If you'd like to receive Jesus, let me lead you in a prayer. And pray it quietly, right where you are. God will hear you. There's no magic words, but if this is the desire of your heart to receive Christ, I'd ask you to pray this. Say, dear God, dear God, I do know that I am a sinner and I need your mercy. Jesus, I believe you died for me and I believe you rose from the dead. And today, I put my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. Please save me. Jesus, I put my faith in you. Would you please save me? It's a simple prayer. It's really the, the, the condition of your heart. Would you ask Christ to save you? Whether you're in this room, or you're watching on video today, Jesus, I do believe you died and rose again for me. I ask you to save me. You are my Lord. Christian, how about you? Those of us who have received Christ, would you take a moment right now, and the instruments are going to play, we'll have a little bit of music, and it's an opportunity for us to just spend some time with God and say, Lord, what should my 2023 look like? In 2023, not my will be done, Lord Jesus, but thy will be done. Let's go to prayer. Thankful for God's mercy this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you've called us to be your sons and daughters, that God, you've given us the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and your mercies are new every morning. Your mercy reached down and saved us. We could do nothing of ourselves. God, we pray that each day we would walk with a renewed mind, that we would be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes.
so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.